We want you to turn to the book of James chapter 2 tonight. The book of James chapter 2 as we come to our 25th article of faith and we are noting the subject of good works. And this is a passage of scripture we use uh, not long ago we preached the subject of justification by works, a follow-up to justification by faith. And we want to read it again and go over it, and, and so it, it, it may very well be familiar to us uh, in that sense from not long ago. James chapter 2 and verse 14. What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed, and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works, Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled with which saith Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Likewise, also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works, when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Now we come here and we find in our scripture that this belief that good works is uh, scriptural is of ancient times. Because the Bible tells us here that Abraham believed it. And Rahab believed it. So it's not a new doctrine. It's very old. Because Rahab believed. You remember her? She was a harlot. And the spies came into the land and she took them into her home. And she hid them. And as James tells us, sent them out another way. She told the the. The spies that came in the land, she said, I believe that God hath given this land to the Israelites. And she said, I want you to remember me when you come into our city. And they said, all right, you hang this, I believe it was a scarlet cloth. And they said, we'll remember. And so she did. She believed God and she had a work. Abraham believed God. You're familiar, no doubt, there in the book of Genesis when he took Isaac up onto the mount and he laid Isaac and as they were walking, Isaac said to him, he said, here is a wood for the altar. 
And he said, yet where's the sacrifice? And Abraham told Isaac, he said, God will provide himself a sacrifice. And he laid Isaac on the altar and he bound him. And he had the knife in the air above his head and he was ready to slay his own son. And the angel of the Lord stopped him. Now, if Abraham didn't believe God, then he never would have even put Isaac on the altar. He believed that if he did actually kill Isaac, God would raise him up from the dead. And that's what we see. When he was put on the altar, it was as good as him dying. When he came off the altar, it was as good as if him being resurrected unto life. But what we want you to note here in these two things is that these two individuals believed in good works. And by good, we mean that which glorifies the Lord. That's what these did. When Rahab hid the spies and sent them out another way, it glorified God. When Abraham believed God and laid Isaac on the altar, it glorified the Lord. And that's what good works do. They glorify God. Now, in fact, it even is before that. Because God told Noah to build an ark. And he did build an ark. That was the work that he performed. He believed God. And so we see all of these things. It is not a new belief. It is as old as the Bible is. Now let us look further. That we trace this belief all through the judges. All through the kings. All through the early church fathers, the twelve apostles, the first century disciples. We trace it all the way through the dark ages. And we come to the time in which you and I now live. And we find that it's still here. Good works after we're saved is still in the Bible. We're still to perform them. And so that's what we are noting tonight. I may say at this time... That Christ Jesus himself believed in good works. Because he did them all through his earthly ministry. In fact, he culminated at the end of his life with the greatest work there ever was. When he shed his own blood for his own people. That's a good work. And so we find that even the Lord himself is our example. I was once told by one, they said, all I know is that you preach a lot of works. And that's true. The word work, singular, is in the Bible 419 times. The word works is in the Bible 237 times. And the word wrought, which is an old English term for worked, past tense, is in the Bible 100 times. And I didn't total them up, but that's over 700 times the word or in reference to work is being used in the Bible. Now, not every one of them is in reference to the work that you and I do. But these are, uh, that's how many times. It's a very important uh, article of faith or belief. But I want you to note here with us tonight, keeping in mind what we read here in James Particularly this last verse, verse 26. For as the body without the spirit is dead, 
so faith without works is dead also. That's what the Bible says. Remember that in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 it says uh, how that uh, you, or he speaks of and he says that we were quickened, we were made alive, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and he quickened us. Our spirit was dead. And that's what he's referring to. He says that those who are lost, their spirit is dead. They have the body and the spirit's dead. And he says those who have faith and no works are just like lost sinners. They have a body with a dead spirit. Because the spirit of God works. And we'll take note of that in the message tonight. Turn over to Luke chapter 18. This is a familiar parable to us. I use it a lot. It has many things involved in it. The parable of the uh, Pharisee and the publican where they both go up to the temple to pray. Let us take note here in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18 verses 9 through 14. Again we deal with justification but we're noting good works. And my first point tonight is this, a lost man's work. Note this. Lost people work. They're dead spiritually. They're not dead physically. So note with us tonight these things. Luke 18 and verse 9. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not so much, uh, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, and this is Jesus. Jesus says, I tell you, this man, that is the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Now, I can liken myself unto this Pharisee. And like Paul said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin, the stock of Benjamin. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day according to the law. He said, I kept the law absolutely perfect. And yet he was still a sinner. Now, this Pharisee, he tells us here and know his works. Remember, he's not justified. The Bible says he did not go back to his house justified. Know what it says. He, he prayed. That was a work. He prayed. He was not a base sinner, but he lived morally. Because look with us here. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. He dealt good with everyone. He didn't lie to them. He didn't extort money from them. He dealt honestly with them in business. So he had a moral life. Notice well, we find that he was religious. He fasted two times in a week. 
And I believe this was scriptural fasting where all he had was water throughout the day. Not where you give up one thing or as my grandfather used to say, he'd give up one beer in ten. So he has these. Fourthly, he tithed of all that he had. And he goes on and he speaks. He says, I give tithes of all that I possess. Not all that comes in on a weekly basis, but he would go over it again. It'd be like at the end of the year, you've, you've already tithed over the first uh, 51 or uh, the first 25 pay periods. And at the end, you tithed over them again. He says, I tithe of everything I possess. Everything I possess. His accounts, his sales over the years, his interest, everything. He didn't leave anything undone. So he knew how to tithe. He knew, in fact, he went above and beyond. And yet, look what it says about him. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. His good works did absolutely nothing for him. And this is why, though all of these works were all of good use to him and to others, is it not good that when we deal in business with people who are lost, that they do not extort us? That they do not steal from us. There are many people that we come into contact who are lost and yet they do not rob us. If they owe us money, they pay on time and they, they give us what they owe us. And so we find here that this is the way it was. And so it was good to him because he had a good name before people. It was good to others because they didn't go without. But yet... They did not proceed from a heart purified by faith. And their end was not to glorify God. That is the purpose of good works. To glorify God. This Pharisee, look at him. He had an eye problem. I thank thee. I am not as others. I fast twice. I give tithes of all that I possess. He was not interested in glorifying God because his heart was not purified by faith. It was a dead heart. He was only interested in himself. And so these works were not done with a right heart, with a right manner, nor to the right end, which is to glorify God. The Bible says, if you allow me to uh, quote it, Hebrews 11, verse 6, but without faith, it is impossible to please God. This Pharisee didn't have any faith. Therefore, works that he did never pleased God. And that's a hard thing to come to. I struggled with it personally for 17 and a half years. I did this. I did that. I didn't do this. And I didn't do that. And yet, none of it pleased God. And I tell you this, the only reason I did do that and the only reason I didn't do that was because the Holy Spirit restrained me from sinning. That's why. You want to know why each and every one of us isn't the biggest mass murderers this world's ever seen? It's because the Holy Spirit restrains iniquity. That's why. 
We have no credit in ourselves. It's not within us that we don't sin. It's the Holy Spirit who stops it. This man was, as was read a few Sundays ago in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8, he did his alms before men. He wanted to receive the praise and glory from men, and he had his reward. He got it. He didn't want to glorify God. He wasn't interested in God. He was interested in himself. So these are the good works. They are good by human definition. There's nothing wrong with praying. There's nothing wrong with uh, uh, not being a base sinner or living a moral life. There's nothing wrong with tithing. There's nothing wrong with fasting. But it is the motive. It's the motive. It's like I tell people all the time. If you're doing the word of God. If your language around me is cleaned up. But you speak vulgarity when you're by yourself. When you clean up your language around me it doesn't matter. Because it's not in your heart to do so. You know people when they find out you're a pastor. Some of them are nice enough to quit swearing around you. And they apologize to you. And I always tell them, I say, you need to ask God to forgive you. But my point is, is this. People clean their lives up, and yet their hearts are never changed. They're never changed. And so their efforts, these good works that they do, amount to nothing. They amount to nothing. Secondly, tonight, if you look in Titus chapter 3, good works cannot save. The only work that saves is the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary. Remember when Jesus cried, one of the seven sayings of the cross, and he cried out, it is finished. He didn't say that it's almost finished. He didn't say, I've got a couple things left to do, and I'm going to leave them up to you. No, he said, it is finished. And is is a present word. When Jesus literally hung on Calvary, it is finished. And in 2008, it is finished. And if God permits and there's years to come, and those years to uh, yet come, it is finished. And in eternity, it's still finished. It is eternally, presently finished. There's no work to do. It's all done. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. Here the Bible states, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we find here that good works cannot save. We cannot, by our best works, merit God's grace. People say, well, God saved me because I did these things. No. He didn't save you because you did them. He didn't save you because you did them and you got to a higher scale and then he saved you. He saved us when we were the least worthy of his mercy. This is the clearest it is ever written. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, 
but according to his mercy, he saved us. That's the plainest it's ever been written. And yet folks will dispute with that and dispute with that and dispute with it. He said, you haven't done anything. He said, nothing that you can do will save you. Look, if you would, into a couple passages of Scripture, Psalms 143 and verse 2. Psalms 143 and verse 2. Here the Bible says, and David wrote, and this was David's plea, and it ought to be our plea to God as well. No verse 1 and verse 2. Psalms 143 verse 1, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my supplications. In thy faithfulness answer me, and in thy righteousness. And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. David says, Don't deal with me in my sins. He said, here he says, And enter not into judgment with thy servant. Because if God enters into judgment with you and I apart from Christ, the verdict is guilty, guilty, guilty. And so he says, For in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Remember what the Bible says in Genesis? And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. When God looked on Noah, God saw Noah as he was, a complete sinner. But instead of wrath, he gave him mercy. That's what David says. He says, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Noah was worthy of death. But mercy saved him. Not by works of righteousness, but by his mercy he has saved us. And that's what happened there in those days. Look to Isaiah 64. The book of Isaiah chapter 64. Here we find regarding, and you take this and you know a lot of people say, Well, maybe at the end of my life all the good things added up, they'll amount to something. Well, they'll amount to something, all right. They'll amount to a bunch of sin. That's what they'll amount to. Isaiah 64 and verse uh, uh, 6, if you would. He says, but we are all as an unclean thing. In fact, he doesn't even use human beings. He says we're a thing. And then he goes on, and all our righteousnesses, not righteousness, But all our righteousnesses, all our good works, if you summed them all up together, he said, are as filthy rags. And we do, and we all do fade as a leaf. And our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. He said, that's what we are. We're no different than a leaf. We're no different than a pile of leaves. And the wind takes us away. We fade. We'll die. We'll perish. That's all we are. We're a thing. All our righteousness is added up. This is why works cannot save. Again, you remember that Pharisee, though humanly speaking, his works were good. 
Humanly speaking, he was moral. But in the eyes of the Lord, and that's all that matters, the Lord said, there is none good, no, not one. And you know, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to understand. Because they've been taught their whole life, well, there's good in everybody. Look for the good in people. Well, you'll never find it. The only good in people is the good that God put there. That's the only good there is. Thirdly, this evening, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Works cannot keep us saved. Many people believe, well, yes, God saved me, but I must keep myself saved. People believe after God saves them that they uh, seemingly have something to do and that we call them legalists. They believe that after they're saved, they must keep the law in order to be saved. I don't believe that at all. I believe there is a law that God's people ought to keep, and keeping that law, we don't do it in order to be saved. We do it because we are saved, and we want to please God. 1 Peter 1 and verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith. Unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And again I quote Paul, who said, For I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. What did Paul commit to him? The same thing Jesus did. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. He committed his body, his soul, and his spirit for the Lord to keep until the day of judgment. And he said, I believe he will. Paul didn't say, well, maybe all the mission work I did, maybe that'll be enough to keep me. No. We are kept by the power of God through faith. Let us not boast of sins which we do not commit after we are saved. Because it is God's power that keeps us. It's not anything you and I do that keeps us from sinning. It's God's grace. It's his restraining grace. It's his love that constrains and restrains us. You want to know why God's people don't live like they used to when they were lost? It's because we want to please him. Before, when we were, were not saved, we could care less about what God thought. Now it ought to be the first thing on our minds. What can I do to please God and what will not please Him? Now I want to note further as well, fourthly, in Ephesians chapter 2, God has commanded us that we have good works. He commands it. Here in Ephesians chapter 2, Verses 8, 9, and 10. A familiar scripture. And this is one that uh, many do quote. And yet they have no idea what it means. And I believe this is the scriptural order. Here it is. Salvation followed by works. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now I want to look at this verse, verse 10 
in particular here this evening, and permit me to comment some things as we go through. First of all, he says in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. Now that means that God created us. You're familiar with the scriptures. Behold, if you are in Christ, all things are new. You are a new creature. Remember that new nature? How that we have Jesus Christ in us? That's what he's referring to. We are his workmanship. He's still referring back to salvation, to the new birth. That's the work that he does. This is an evidence of his grace. I will say at this time that in order for us to do good works, God must first work upon us. He must first save us before we can do anything good. And then that is the requirement. And then he says this, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. There is so little capacity in human beings for good works that we had to be created in Christ. We have no room. We are filled with ungodliness, filled with sin, filled with evil, that if God had created us anew and left us out of Christ, there would be no good works. We must be in Him. Everything fits. He created us in Christ, and then note for this purpose, to bring forth good works. He's still again referring to the new birth. Created in Christ Jesus. The new birth. We are created. It's like our physical birth. We are created in our mothers. Well, Jesus Christ, we are created in him. And then he says, unto good works. In your mothers you were created that you would be fruitful and multiply after you came of age. The same is true in Christ. We were created in him that we would be fruitful and multiply spiritually. It's like a tree. A tree grows. It drops cones on the ground. For what purpose? That other trees will come forth. That's what Christ has done for you and I. He has created you and I in him that we will bring forth good works. Now no further. These good works, and here's the passage that many many people balk at. They have little understanding. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, these good works, here it is. People say, well, I've done this after I'm saved. No. They originated with God. God ordained them. People say, well, I've done this. Yes, but God decreed it. Now, let's look at this word ordained. Let us take a look at it specifically and see what it means. The word ordained carries with it several definitions. And in this passage of scripture, its primary meaning is that it was prepared before. Not only this, but it carries with it this definition. That God decreed before the foundation of the world... That all who are saved by grace will bring forth good works. It's cause and effect. You know, it's kind of like several things. 
You're familiar with cause and effect. That's a law. God has another law. The law of sowing and reaping. We reap what we sow. You know, the farmers didn't sow wheat, and what came out of the ground was corn. No, they sowed wheat, and they reaped wheat. So Jesus has sown grace, and what will be wrought, or what will be reaped, is good works. That's the law. If you're saved, there will be good works. That's the law that God established before the foundation of the world. It's as sure as gravity is. What comes up must come down. That's a law God decreed. And before the foundational world, God decreed, he said, whoever is saved will bring forth good works. They will. That's the law. It doesn't mean that, well, when I get to the end of my life, whatever happened between when God saved me and the end of my life, that's all God wanted me to do. Not on your life. In fact, there's not a single person who has ever filled up their cup of good works. And we'll note that here briefly in a minute. But this is what ordained means. It means God has decreed it. And it means he decreed it before the world began. Yes, there are specific works that you are and you alone are to walk in. There are specific things that you as a child of God and only you has God ordered for you. Your spouse cannot walk in them. I, your pastor, cannot walk in them. Only you. These works are for you to do. You have specific ones that the Lord has for you to do. And you know what? None of them are contrary to this book right here. It is not God's will for anybody, as many people are doing today. They're breaking off and they start their own church. That's not, God hadn't ordained that. That's not even a good work. But what we find here is he has decreed all of these things. Now we have some time and I want to take a look at some things here tonight. And permit me to read some scriptures and I pray you'll follow. We have several we want to run to. Uh, fifthly tonight, the saints' good works and we want to note them. Turn to Titus chapter 2. We have already stated... That the, his, the purpose of our works is to glorify God. Now I know we're in Titus, but Matthew 5 and verse 16 says that we're to put our lamps or our candles upon the candlestick that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. That's the purpose of good works, to glorify God in heaven. That's the chief aim of your life and mine. Well, note here in Titus, chapter 2 and verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And then know verse 14, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. You know what zealous means? It means we have a desire and a love. And it is our chief aim in the day that we would have good works that glorify God. It doesn't mean, well, 
If I get time. Well, if I come across it, I'll do it. No, it means that's our purpose. That's why we go through life. How we go through life is for good works, to do them to glorify God. He tells us as well. We're in Titus. Let's look back to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And verse 1. What will our good works do? Well, they'll shut some people's mouths. That's what they'll do. You know what bad works do or evil works do? They give occasion to the enemy of God to blast. Remember David and Nathan told him, he said when he committed adultery and he committed murder, he said that your child is going to die. The child of sin, he said he'll die because you've given occasion to the enemy to blaspheme. Well, good works does the opposite. It shuts them up. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 1. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. Well, are we or are we not under the yoke of God? Certainly we are. We're his servants. And so, as it was brought in the last scripture reading, when our earthly masters tell us to do something, we do it unto God. You know, there's a lot of people, and I've worked in secular places, and I know you do too. The boss is telling them to do something, and they turn around and they just say how stupid the boss is, and all these other things. Well, God doesn't get any glory out of that. As my dad told me, if God wanted you to be the boss, he would have put you in charge of other people. And so he said, but if those will go and do what their masters tell them to do, it glorifies God. Now, how in the world, if we won't obey our earthly masters, how do people think that we'll believe our heavenly master? And so it'll shut the mouths of people up, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed. We find as well, 1 John chapter 2, it strengthens our assurance in salvation. Again, many people question whether or not they're saved, and the reason why is, they don't have any good works. And I question it too. 1 John chapter 2 and verses 3, 4, and 5. And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, Hereby know we that we are in him. You want to know how you know you're saved? You've got good works. And the chief end in your heart is to glorify God. That's an evidence of salvation. Furthermore, Psalms 116. What do the good works of saints do? Well, we're to be zealous in them. They glorify God. They strengthen us. They give us assurance. They stop the mouths of our adversaries. And here in Psalms 116, they manifest our thankfulness. Here in Psalms 116, and note verse 12 through 14. David writing, he says, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits toward me? I will take the cup of salvation. 
and call upon the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows unto the Lord now in the presence of all his people. David says, because God has rendered all these benefits, I will do these good works. I will praise his name and I will perform my vows in the presence of all his people. He's going to give thanks before everyone for what God has done for him. That's what good works do. Now I want you to bear with me. And I have two things I want to note as we begin to close tonight. In these good works, and again, we are responsible for them. And yet, it's the same thing with salvation. We are responsible to repent and believe the gospel, and yet we have no ability within ourselves. We are responsible to do good works, and yet in and of ourselves we have no ability. We have no ability to do anything godly. It comes from the Lord. Philippians chapter 2. And, and, and again, bear with us. We, we must get this in here in Philippians 2. Note, if you would, verse 12 and verse 13. The Bible tells us. He says, Wherefore, Philippians 2.12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's what Paul tells me. He says, it's your responsibility. You manifest. You work it out. You show that God has saved you within. Now note verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. The Philippians could not do the work in and of themselves. It was God working in them. They had to rely upon his strength, upon his ability, upon his power. If we try to resist the devil in our own power, we will fail every single time. It is the power of God. It's the power of God that causes us to be able to do these good works. Not only this, but look over to the Gospel of Luke. We said earlier that we will never fill up our cup of good works. It will always be empty. I feel that way personally. I, I, I just feel that there is uh, uh, just, I'll never uh, perform all that the Lord would have me to. People who think they have, uh, they've got some problems. And part of it is their vision isn't correct. Part of it is they think highly of themselves and very little of God. But in Luke chapter 17, and let us read verse 7 down through verse 10. He says here, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me, till I have eaten and drunk, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise, ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You see, what he's telling us here is this. 
The master commanded his servant, and he said, You go and plow the field. And when he had plowed the field and he had come in at the evening, does the master say to his servant, You finished your work, sit down and eat. No. The master tells his servant, he says, You plow the field, now you fix my supper and I'll eat, and when I'm done, then you can eat. There's always work to do. There is never filled up that cup. That's why he says, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. Never think that you've gone above and beyond the call of our duty as children of God, because we never have. As Paul said, it is our reasonable service. We'll never fill that cup. Two more things. And I'll not run reference to this, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 10, he said, according to the grace that was given me, I am a wise and master builder. For good works, God gives grace to different people for different works. Not everyone can be a wise master builder as Paul. Not everyone can do those things. It's like Paul said in chapter 12 of the same book, 1 Corinthians. He said, the eye doesn't do the hearing, and the ear doesn't do the seeing. For those who serve the Lord, it's all of grace. And if you'll pardon this expression, it's the only way I know how to make it, for those who really serve the Lord, it's really all of grace. If God has this for you to do, he's going to give you this much grace. And for those whom he only gives this much work to do, he's going to give you that much grace. Paul was able to build masterfully, or a wise master builder, because God gave him that grace. And you know, Paul wouldn't have done that if God wouldn't have put it within his heart. God doesn't put it in your hearts to pastor a church if he hasn't first, or you're not going to have a desire to pastor if he didn't first put it in your hearts, is what I mean to say. He's not going to give you the grace and strength to take care of the duties of a pastor if you're not a pastor. He's not going to give you the grace and strength to be members in his church and to sit under me as your pastor unless you are members of this church. It takes grace to do pastor a church, and it takes grace to be a member underneath a pastor. But his grace meets each individual need according to his grace. That's why Paul didn't take any glory in what he did. He said, it's not me. It's according to the grace that he gave me. He said, I didn't do anything. He said, yes, I worked more than all the apostles put together. But it was according to God's grace. That's what we must keep in mind. Lastly, there is a day when we shall rest from our labors. Revelation, if, I, if I, you'll permit me to turn there, Revelation chapter 14. The Bible tells us there's a day of rest to come. It is not yet. It is not dark. As we sing the hymn, work for the night is coming when man's work is done. It is not dark. 
It is not the, the, uh, uh, the time of darkness. It's still the day of light for you and I. And we'll rest when the Lord tells us to. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Right blessed are the dead which die in the Lord from henceforth. Yea, saith the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, and their works do follow them. You know, I've got a, a, a bunch of books and stuff in my library from some former Baptists, and they're a blessing to me. I got 347 tapes of my grandfather. I've got outlines of his. I, I don't remember a single sermon he preached, but his works follow him. It's the same thing with you and your children. And if God permits you, if you don't have any, God gives you grandchildren or great-grandchildren, your works follow you in them. You know, because everything, most things that my earthly father know, the Lord taught him through my grandfather. And the Lord taught me through my earthly father. It is passed down from generation to generation by grace. But our works do follow us. We'll have rest from them, but it's kind of like a train or a trail we leave behind us. And then, if you'll note, secondly, regarding this rest, there is a reward for our labors. Revelation 19. And verse 7 and 8. Revelation 19, verse 7 and 8. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now, I'll, I'll tell you this right now. People have a problem with this. It's because they're ignorant of the Bible. This word righteousness here, it is a different word than the word that James used for imputed righteousness unto Abraham. This word righteousness in its origin in the Greek, and I don't know Greek, so I'm not going to tell you what that word actually is, but it means, as it states in there, it means an equitable deed or a righteous act so that's what he's saying for the fine linen is the deeds or the righteous acts of the saints that's the bride of christ it's those who are not only saved it's those who are saved who have righteous acts and the first righteous act that you do is scriptural baptism so therefore they must be in his church but it's more than that. Because other scriptures tell us that they must be faithful to him in the church. I don't know. Simply because your name is on this church's church roll does not mean you'll be in the bride. You must be faithful in order to be in the bride of Christ. People say, well, I'm more faithful than other people are. That's your opinion. That's up to the Lord. Because only God knows your heart. In fact, we don't even know our own hearts. But this is what we believe about good works. There's a judgment going to come. All our unrighteous deeds will be hay, wood, and stubble and burnt up. All our good works will be gold, silver, and precious stones. And some will enter into heaven only with salvation. 
And there are a great many who think they have gold, silver, and precious stones, and they're not even saved. They're not even saved. And they will be judged by the Lord at a different judgment, and he'll hand out degrees of punishment. This is what we believe. Good works. And I declare, as Paul did, as Peter did, as James did, as the Bible declares, as Jesus declared, that works are so connected to salvation that if one does not have good works, they are not saved but lost. That's what the Bible teaches us. As the body is without the spirit, so is faith without works. It is dead. That's my, my belief. That's what we believe as a church. They are connected. They are as connected as repentance and faith are. They as con- are as connected as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are. They are inseparable. Salvation will bring about works. It will, it will, it will. So may God help us that we will manifest, that we will work, that God will work in us. That's why it's so important not to grieve the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important not to quench the Holy Spirit because God works in us through him. So may the Lord help us is our prayer. Let's stand tonight and be dismissed. In a word of prayer, and again, pray for each one and those who are not able to be here. Brother Eddie and, and Clay with his schooling. And we look forward to being back with each one and continue to be in prayer that the Lord will bless you and watch over you while we're away. Let's bow our heads and we'll ask if Brother uh, Gail might close in a word of prayer. Amen.